Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 191. I'm your host, Brian. Joining me this week, Mac. You're away from the station and you're off the rails. All right. Thanks, Casey Jones. Driving that train high on cocaine. <laughs> and Ian is with us. Hi. I'm here. Wow. Hello. Somebody has been, uh, I think, that talking about the guy who's doing the cocaine. <laughs> and we have Mad Cat. Hello, hello, I'm back. And we have the dumbass himself. Whoa, whoa, down, boys, down. Good boys. <laughs> Sorry, I was just uh, calming my tits. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I knew you. How is everybody doing? We've got a full show. I think it's been a while since we've all been here, hasn't it? Maybe not. Mm. I am just amazed at the all the uh, all the sexual harassment in our government. So Moore's sexually harassed people. Franken sexually harassed people. Yeah. Conyers sexually harassed people. Uh, I've never been sexually harassed by Conyers, but I have by cockatoos. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I, I hope that you and once got by the magpie. help that you needed. Now, is anybody uh, willing sure. to come out and accuse Brian of sexually <laughs> harassing right now? Have they not listened to our podcast? (laughs) Boy, as far as I know, I have have never, hopefully, ever been inappropriate like that. I mean, wow, everybody is, I mean, can you you believe all of this? It's it's absolutely crazy, but I don't think it's new. I think it's just that it's, we're more sensitive to it and we're more aware of it. Maybe. It's also, we're we're admitting to it. It's, uh, um, I've had, Conversations with my par- uh, grandparents when they were still alive of a theory I had about the idea that a lot of this stuff um, has been happening and probably happened more during their generation. The um, you know stuff within the family, the you know stuff that you kept hidden. But their generation, what they did is they kept it hidden. You didn't admit it. It was a you know how sure. dare you even think that stuff happened? You don't uh, bring it out into the open at all. That's horrible. And, yep. Yeah. And nowadays we've gone against that. It's like, no, you talk about it, you bring it out in the open. It's kind of a recent and thing. Why, and that actually reduces it. Yeah. Because um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure with my, my my kids' generation, it's not happening that much. The the word stuff in their family. Because the the relatives that might do it are gonna be much more likely, hey, wait a minute, that they'll probably say something. I better just behave myself instead of figuring the family's gonna do um just ignore it. Yeah. And I think so. We're seeing the same thing now happening on the bigger scale of sexual harassment. Is yeah. enough people have come out? It's become a, the the right kind of um, item where people are saying, "Listen, if it's happened, say it, so we can um, do something about it." And that means that what's going to happen is, it, you know, if it follows the same pattern, the people that would be doing it are going to have to think twice. Say, "Nah, I better behave myself because otherwise, I'm not going to have the protections I had." You you actually think that it's happening less i mean i and do we have any data on that boy i i, I don't um, know that i would be willing to well, say that hard, in my experience what i've heard of um firsthand people having had it happen to i believe it's happening less uh, a lot of it, I, I, that is i admit looking at um what i've seen and I, i'm saying with my kids generation, with my generation i think was the um kind of switch over generation i i actually um personally believe my generation probably had it less than my parents and um and like I said, this is all from people I talk to and stuff. I've seen less evidence of it happening in my generation. Right, and but even that's less so anecdotal. I'd really like to see I, a multi generational study. 
Well, you know, it's also it's not just like generation. It's also like where you live and the culture yeah. that yeah, you're in, sure. and cultures change dramatically. In fact, apparently we will be somewhat talking about that later on. Yeah. I do want as to say that now. I say, yes, we will be talking about that later on. Yes. Yeah. So I caught a video on YouTube talking about all this stuff in Hollywood right now. I caught a video on YouTube, and they were asking. They had been analyzing episodes of Family Guy, and they're like. What exactly does Seth, Far- Seth MacFarlane know about people, and what does he still know that he hasn't told anybody yet? Because they were talking about uh, – he made remarks about Weinstein long before this came out. He had an episode where Stewie was running naked through a mall as a joke, screaming, help, help, I've just escaped from Kevin Spacey's basement. It does kind of well, make you – yeah, I don't know. But I think that these things the, – the rumors have probably been floating around Hollywood yeah. forever before they had confirmation. Well, Corey Feldman has been talking about how um, he's wanted to come out with the names for some time, but he wasn't about to put himself in that position where it could really destroy his career. Because he, um, he was saying, because yeah, he was talking the, about needing a bodyguard after saying what. Yeah, the stuff he went through and the people he knew were involved in it, he couldn't say anything because they were in such a position of power. But now, and it sounded like most of Hollywood knew it, but everyone was too afraid. So, you know, once the first rock starts tumbling, the avalanche was bound to happen. Well, we're definitely seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, though, too, that I find is, you know, I'm sure Weinstein was completely blindsided by this because he comes from a generation where this wasn't sexual harassment. This was just perks. Yeah, yeah. And actually, um, do we want to jump into um, this or do you want to hold off? No, no, let's hold off. Let's let's hold off. We have a topic. All this stuff's going to come back. Yeah, let's move on. We've got a whole bunch of stuff in here, and so let's let's go ahead and – Let's talk about boobs. I mainly said it so boobs. I could use the Conyers joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mad Cat, what time is it? It is Ian and Dumbass's masturbation moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Idea Empire. There we go. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. And so today we're not necessarily talking about masturbation, but we're talking about something that definitely can inspire it, boobies. Um, <laughs> from Ultranet, the nine weirdest facts about boobs. So most of these um, are referring to various studies that were done, and they're quite interesting. Some of them make some logical sense. Number one, poor men like big breasts, while financially secure men prefer smaller breasts. Yeah, see, I'm not, I mean, it's, they back this up with a Psychology Today article. Really? I don't believe so. (laughs) I mean, I I I had a friend who wasn't poor, but he wasn't rich, but still, it's like, bullets, bigger the bullets. Best. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, well, I mean, uh, I mean, there could be a general trend, but you know, it's probably probably not very. If there, if there is something there, it's definitely not uh, predictive. Okay, but so this is once again, this is not a study, right? This is the, this they gathered together. She says the yeah, author recruited two hundred sixty-six men from these sites and uh, in so. Different size. So, I mean, it, it's... Well, it's, yeah, with any studies, you know, this is, most of these sound like the beginnings of right, something well, to explore. Okay, and and, and, and it, I'll take that. I'll take that is, um, yes, there, there's something here for them to look at. I'm, I'm not buying this is true. 
I uh, think they took data and interpreted it kind of the way they want. I think so too. I think that there's some p hacking going on here. <laughs> True. That, okay, that was weird. So number two, hungry men desire big breasts, while satisfied men prefer the smaller chest. <laughs> Once again, I'm not. I'm not sure I'm buying this. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if you're on a life raft in the middle of the ocean and you look over at your female companion with the large breasts and she suddenly turns into a large chicken breast, you, you prefer those to be bigger? Now, apparently this one, only <laughs> white British men were invited to participate in the experiment for some reason. This points to the same article as the last one. Wait, what the hell? Uh, did it? Hmm. Yeah, so the psychology well, today, they, follow, they, these both, these, oh, this is all coming from the same psychology today paper this isn't like independent studies is all coming from one source it's all the same damn source so this guy basically (laughs) took a source and resourced it to come up with a titillating article Uh, apparently openly say in a second experiment following on the previous study okay and it it, it sounds like it's trying to link that one somewhat because it's saying determine whether food security played a role in the preference of breast size So th- th- those two, they're saying those two are actually kind of linked to what they were looking at. Well, I'm sitting here thinking the fact that they only invited white British men to participate in that particular phase of the study, I think that skews the data just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, are, they, are they assuming that Britishness <clears throat> also influences breast size preference? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Squeeze me skeptically <laughs> on this one. Number three. The third one. This one makes kind of sense. Yeah. Men not interested in fatherhood find large breasts less attractive. I okay. I I can I can get on board on this one. Anecdotally, I disagree. <laughs> Anecdotally, I disagree too. Really? I've I've never found a guy uh, not interested in fatherhood any different yeah. about the size of breasts they like. Okay. All right. Yep. And I'm not particularly interested in fathering any more children at this point, but. Well, well wait a second. That. Hold on, hold on. That they're saying that that they're talking about men that were never interested in in fatherhood, not not pe- not people like you who have had a child. Well, I guess it kind of rings true for me personally. I'm not interested in fatherhood, and my preference in breasts tends to go towards a smaller size. You should have heard my husband cry when mine were reduced. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, this guy points to the same Psychology Today article, so it must be true. Okay, then number four, we'll finally break away from psychology today. <laughs> number four, squeezing breasts may prevent cancer. So that's because it's, you know, just like a squeezy toy. <laughs> it sounds like one of those research things that somebody, like, somebody decided to crunch the data and put it together like this just to make headlines. Maybe. I mean, this one, this one is from a it's, U.S. A Berkeley laboratory. It sounds like number four is my reason to get into philanthropy. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, apparently the logic is by squeezing the breast. God bless um, you, sir. God bless um, you. You're, you're giving the um, boobies the right workout to um, help get rid of the cancer cells. All right, where's the so, sample size on this study? Let's see. Oh, and I thought that was really about men and. <laughs> well, it's a sample it, size of one. I, it, it, that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. This doesn't say hey, what the sample, sample size. One, I can I convinced one girl to let me massage her breast, and she didn't develop cancer. Ah, <laughs> okay, there we go. That's just about like asking if you can check her for ticks. Does it actually say the size in, or the sample size in the article? To reverse breast breast cancer cells, give them a squeeze. So they're saying that it's going to help prevent cancer. 
I I don't know. And there's and I, w- I would ask some other questions. Have these women had children or not? Would be another would be a factor I'd be interested in. How old they were? Well, yeah, and how old they are? That would be well, yeah. That that's another thing that I'd be interested yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And and what and what their predisposition you know was for breast cancer as well. So I I don't know. I the, you know the 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 stuff that's on the Berkeley site really doesn't look and i'm not reading it real thoroughly but i'm not seeing numbers of where they where they were you yeah, know, how I many people they say uh, you know were screened uh, yeah just skimming through it i don't see much in the way of actual information on how the study was done you know i sure like talking about boobies but i'm, I'm not sure that uh, i'm buying most of this stuff but let's but i mean <laughs> maybe so this but next, the next one, one uh, go ahead yeah the next one points to more of a um you know social issues and stuff Women who get breast implants are three times more likely to commit suicide. Right, but this has nothing to do with the breast implants, I would suspect. Yeah, I mean, more, or, more to do with body image issues to begin sure. with. Sure. Well, actually, let me throw this out there. Those breast implants, I know that they've, I don't know if they've, I know they've gone through a lot of, in a lot of uh, advances and things like that, but you're still putting something inside the body that shouldn't be there. So? I don't so, think that, that's what it is, though. Yeah, I don't think that's um, what they're... It, it, it could be a contributing factor, though. Well, I, I would think a lot of women that would get augmentation like that have a body issue image to begin with and have some um, self-esteem issues. And when they get the breast implants and they find out that didn't magically fix anything, you know, I, I, I think that's more of what it's all about than anything else. You know, the perfect... Or they go the other way around and are upset about the image that they now have, which they previously wanted. So on my strange addiction, they they interviewed a woman who has the largest breast breast implants in the world, and oh, she her. kept wanting to get bigger and bigger and bigger ones. And finally, the, everybody in the states said, "No, we won't do it." She had to go to Brazil to get the next ones. And I don't know if she ever. I, I mean, I assume that at that point she's done because nobody will do anymore. But she was still not happy with the size of her breasts uh, in her case. So um, she wants to be like carting them around in a wheelbarrow. I, I, or I don't something? know. I guess. Yeah, she that woman. Uh, she just kept on wanting more. That's it. She just wants more. Yeah. But so, I mean, it's hard to say. I'm not sure. No. Well, I have a theory that she might have been hungry. Maybe. Maybe she was hungry. Or not interested in, or, or, or interested in fatherhood. All right. Move on to number six here. <laughs> number six. And this one, actually, you can see. Sexist men prefer large breasts. Now, I don't think that necessarily means men who prefer large breasts are sexist. But generally, the more sexist men are definitely prefer large breasts. Right, but you just told me that people that were m- more affluent preferred smaller breasts. So are the are these are sexist these- men uh, lower on the pay scale? I don't think you need um, to have money to be sexist. Well, uh, sure. So yeah, but apparently it helps because uh, <laughs> she th- was elected. It just seems like <laughs> it just seems like there might be some. Asking questions to get, you know, how, how are they asking these questions? Because we have two different, because we're, we're seeing different reasons as the, you know, big breasts, little breasts, sexist, you know, affluent, not affluent. I mean, there's so much stuff going on here. And, you know, it's like, how do, how do you, how do you screen this out for what's true? I think it's bad data crunching. Myself. I think so. I, I don't I don't like any of this. Yeah. All right. Bra accelerate sagging. Now this yeah. particular study has some issues. Okay. Uh, so this this was a French study. So they so they chose women, um, see between ages eighteen to thirty five, and they had I guess they had somewhere somewhere bras and some not, 
and they found that they were that the women the, uh, that were uh, that were boy, boy the women that were wearing bras had more sagging. Um, the pro one of the issues here that they that, that I don't think they addressed. I think that they, that they were that they weren't extremely large breasts, right? So so they so they they were you know they they chose a breast size and went with that. So I think that that was one of the issues that I had heard about this study. But the other thing that they're not taking into account here is that sagging is one thing, but bras can prevent back issues as well. So you know, yeah, but this I admit this sounds like one of those that kind of was the anti-bra crowd pushing it. And you, you'll see studies like this that go either way, back and forth throughout the ages. So yeah, yeah this one is a harder one to call because um, there are definitely benefits to bras, but are there um, drawbacks as well? That's a hard call. But I, I've heard this stuff before. This actually theory's been out there for a while. And, and once again, it's a small sample size. You know, if the uh, original German engineer Otto von Titzling had actually perfected his design rather than having. Uh, Having uh, a brassiere, brassiere do it, yeah. I think it was an over-the-shoulder boulder holder, right? That is, yeah. That's what. That's what I call. Uh, <laughs> okay, number eight's definitely one I think we'll all question to some degree. Uh, <laughs> number men, eight actually seems like it contradicts number six to me. Men who like small breasts prefer a submissive partner. I was thinking the same thing. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> I have no that's idea. True. Yeah, I don't know. Like submissive, that's a sexist thing, but if uh, sexists prefer larger breasts, then... Yeah, so you know, what are they using for their um, criteria in all these? And Yeah, the, the, I, I do agree. Six and eight do seem to not necessarily line up. None of these line up whatsoever. None of these line up. So the next one does. German study. Oh, yeah. yeah the, During it, that booth, extend a man's life by five years. We we have already talked it about just, this in a previous podcast. It worth living. No, this is bullshit. This, this is a totally... Bunk article. We've covered this one before. It does sound like one we've covered. Yeah, I don't they, know if it's bunk or not. It's bunk. But, but I have to say that <laughs> staring at breasts for 10 minutes a day does make life more worth it. <laughs> okay. I won't deny that. You it's... have a little bit more time that you're going to stay inside, look at those, instead of going out going, hey, watch this. I like breasts of all sizes. They've all got different appeal. I'll take any. Yep. And that's kind of what the article says at the end of that, that most guys are just happy to have a naked body in bed with them. <laughs> in fact, actually, in this number nine, it, he even says um, that the story is a complete hoax. Yeah, it I, is. I, I think the article was so, pretty much just clickbait. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and Ian clicked it. And we got to talk about boobs. And we got to talk about boobs. Hey, aren't you guys happy about that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Turkey bans LGBT event in capital, and you put and this is under what the uh, under, uh, what the fuck or what are they thinking? And this one, right. I, I'm kind of not surprised about this coming out of Turkey anymore. So Mac, oh, Turkey, not a Turkey. I was no country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the point of today's article that. Uh, is that Thanksgiving turkeys are homophobes, and that's why it's okay to eat them? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, that, that's funny because we just had our Thanksgiving. I get you guys. Yeah. yeah you, did you guys just have yours as well? When is your Thanksgiving? We had our, uh, a month or so ago. It is right. See, the, you know, you Canadians, you give thanks first. You apologize better than us Americans. I mean, whatever. We're good at apologizing. Yeah, and and apparently you're better at giving thanks than we are. <laughs> Yeah, but they're smug about it. No, they're not. 
No. And we have that little sing song, too. <laughs> little sing song? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's a cute joke about that on one of the um, Stargate episodes. Uh, Stargate. Atlantis. Okay. Okay. I didn't get. I didn't. I didn't, you know, get... I didn't watch enough of Stargate Atlantis. Oh well. All right, oh, Mac. Like Rodney. Funny. Mac, what do I got here? What? I don't. This is your article. What? Yeah, my article. Oh, I'm sorry. No, oh, dumbass. I apologize. Oh, <laughs> you're stuff... credit for my Oh article. man, I'm giving credit away. Uh, I saw Turkey and I thought Mac. I mean, what? Uh... All right, dumbass. Tell me. Tell me what's going on yeah. here. All right. So yeah, this isn't all throughout Turkey. This is just in the capital. Um, they've uh, banned all events by lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and intersex rights groups. Um, and um, they're basically saying, oh, it's for their own protection. Yeah, that... that, uh, that... We're going to discriminate against you for your own protection. Has that ever worked here? No, it hasn't really, has it? No. No. No, that... that... This, but here's the thing. What what is going on in Turkey these days? I mean, they, my understanding is that there's still a secular democracy, right? But didn't they recently have kind of a coup? I don't know. Hey, David. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah. Didn't they have a coup? There's something going on. Refugees. Okay. Oh, was it, was it the election? Didn't they have a? They didn't they have a kind Wasn't of? Wasn't it the election? A trumped up election or something? Man, I wish I remember. No, we had a trumped up election. Well, okay. <laughs> Okay, even my husband is confused about Turkey right now. Okay, so. okay, okay, let's move on. Yeah, anyway, I, I, this is unfortunate. There was an unsuccessful coup attempt in July of 2016. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, so it's okay. been a while. That's right. Yeah, so basically what they're saying is, oh, uh, people might be provoked um, by uh, by uh, your homosexuality stuff, so we, 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 don't want, uh, we, we don't want to cause any trouble. Uh, but it's like, well, where do you draw the line, right? Where do you draw the line? I mean, people people would love to make the same argument here in the states. Yeah, because you know, I mean, it's always somebody who's you know who's offended. Well, if, if you can keep people from you know expressing themselves, it's much easier to have everyone get along. That's why freedom of expression is so important. Or should be outlawed. Oh, well, they like outlawed because then you keep them under your thumb. You have the freedom they, to think I whatever know. I want you to. Well, that's what, you know, and, and actually they'll be brought up again here in just a moment. But yeah, that's an attitude that's out there. Is if we can, you know, get you to not think outside the box and control you and everything's civil and nice. Mad Cat, damn it. Now I've got that song going. Let's put Rolling Stones in there. I'm sorry. Um, um, I can get a song now and take it out. <laughs> that's always chancy. All right. What's the next one? Okay, this one's Ian's. Yep. Uh, okay. This, uh, you want to talk about interpreting the law in some pretty extreme ways. Um, so in the, basically the, um, title of the article is sexual active, sexually active students must be reported to law enforcement or state officials, Oregon school district says. So, um, up in Oregon, the Selma Kaiser school district apparently put out some new guidelines for this, um, teachers saying that if a student um, comes and says they're sexually active, that teacher has to report that student. And the logic is going off of the idea that um, the um, age of consent is 18. So apparently, well, the way they're interpreting that is you're not allowed to have sex until you're 18. No, let's, let's not uh, uh, skip over the part where it says here, uh, they were told if they learn or merely suspect 
a yeah. student is sexually active, they must report it to law enforcement or state officials. This, the suspicion wow. of it. Yeah, it, it's pretty extreme. And the thing is, and if you go into this article, is basically what that does is it makes it so the students aren't going to come to the teachers. A, a, a person in authority who they're supposed to trust and be able to confide in, they're not going to do it now. They're, they're yeah. going to have these issues about birth control and other things, and then they have less people to talk to, less people to go to. They're also and less like, likely to use birth control. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. It is. But, but I mean, you know, how would that even work? Like, could, could like a teacher just call up like the police and be like, "Yeah, um, I, I want to report that uh, uh, Sarah Smith in my seventh grade class <laughs> has been screwing around." Yeah. That's who who are they supposed to report it yeah. to? I mean, like, are the are the police going to actually take notes on that? This is the, this like, is okay, ridiculous. It's, it's it's nice to, do you have her measurement? Uh, it, it says straight up, contact law enforcement. So, yep. some, yeah. So, some of the points in here were that um, that when a student talks to a teacher, it should they should be able to talk to a teacher, a teacher, and assume that it's going to be private and between them, yeah. and and there shouldn't be repercussions if they're talking to a teacher about about being sexually active, and where. Since when is the is the where did this idea come about that you know two I teenagers having sex with each other? Yeah, no, I, I understand age of consent being eighteen, but it has to do with being with other adults. Right. The idea that um you know two fifteen year olds hooking up is something that they should be arrested for. What? Who do you Where'd prosecute? Who do you Nobody's prosecute in that situation? Nobody's actually mentioned uh, arresting them. Actually, they said that they're probably not going to arrest them. But the thing is, like where. Who are you supposed to report this to? And who is somebody going to be writing this down in some file somewhere? Yeah, like, this, uh, like the teachers always uh, uh, tell you, uh, this will go on your permanent record. Is there going to be some record of the like how pro, uh, prolific you were uh, sexually in like eighth grade? Can you yeah, I don't even know if they have any permanent record anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. it um, so, some group came up with this idea that we'll be able to keep our kids from having sex if we do this. That, which they, they won't. Um, <laughs> yeah, they won't. But if, if the teachers follow through with it, they're going to lose trust of their students. They're going to actually probably start getting the police officers pissed off and saying, listen, we don't care about this stuff. We have real issues to deal with. You know? We don't care about this stuff unless it's juicy. Well, that, that's exactly it. So, Sally, tell me how it felt. <laughs> so, what, what the police do about it in the first place? Put them in jail or... I, no, I'm guessing. I'm guessing they keep a file on it so that uh, they can, like, you know, on weekends they can get together and look it over and uh, talk about how much of a slut Jenny is. <laughs> no, that's about it. Yeah, there's nothing in this that makes any sense. I can't see it doing any good for anyone. Um, doing anything? Yeah, really, except for boring whoever's getting the call. Yeah, well, like I said they'll um, alienate the students more. It'll, it puts the teachers in a very awkward position, and the, the police will be saying, like, listen, you know, if it's two teenagers hooking up, it's not really our business. You know, if, if you, can, you can find, you know, if a, if a 16-year-old's hooking up with a 21-year-old, yeah, let's look into that. But if, you know, two of your teenage kids that are the same age are getting it on, really? Come on. What if a 17-year-old is having sex with an 18-year-old? Um, it depends on the laws. I know in some places there's, I think, a two-year leeway with that kind of thing. Okay. Which, there's, um, there's got to be something. Of course, anyone who knows, anybody who's seen Age of Extinction knows that Texas has a Romeo and Juliet law. Okay. What, so what uh, is that? They, if they, he can, basically, 
they had a pre-existing minor relationship, so okay. he was he was still able to have relations with her when he was older and she was younger than the age of consent. Yeah. So if he's like he, 17 and 16 and he turned 18, he could still be with the 16-year-old because they had a previous relationship. Right. And he okay. carried the law around in his wallet just in case anybody asked. That's that not sense. rapey. That's not rapey well, at all. But no, that makes a bit of sense, though. If, 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 yeah. If, it does. If you're having a relationship with someone you've already been with for kudos. Do you think yeah. quite and just because one turned 18 and the other still has a year or two to go... You know, if they've already been um, together a while, suddenly, oh, well, I have to stop until you catch up with me. You know, that's not happening. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I actually can see a possible benefit in this Oregon law, okay. but mainly for the Law and Order franchise. I'd <laughs> like to see uh, Law and Order Oregon Special Victims Unit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Dealing exclusively with these cases. So here, I like I'd this. I'd like to see some casting suggestions too. More than 40% of high school students surveyed by the Center for Disease Control and Prevented and Prevention reported having sex into 2015. 40% of so, high school students. So by the, um, this ruling, 40% of um, the kids in that district need to be reported to the police now. Yeah, well. I suspect that Jimmy and Sally are, are getting it on. I'm going in with a camera to get some evidence. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sally looks like the sadder but wiser. Yeah, they would have thought I was deep in trouble considering how many guys I hung out with. It all speaks to how deeply uncomfortable we are with teenage sexuality. Yes, it, it all speaks does. to how uncomfortable you are with sexuality, period. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Pretty re- pretty pretty repressed in the US here. Yep. Well, Canada too. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. is it as bad as the US, you think? I'm not sure, but we do uh Canada does take an awful lot of cues from the U.S., and whether anyone realizes it, sometimes the U.S. has the same with Canada for cues, but uh, sure. it's, you know, I, I, it's I have basically kind of, the same stuff. I have kind of noticed around here how, uh, how uncomfortable people can get, even with just recognizing uh, teenagers as sexually attractive. So, uh, I remember one time a friend of mine uh, showed me a picture of this girl, and he's like, and I'm like, uh, she's with a singer or actor or something i didn't really know her and i'm like oh yeah she, she's nice and he's like uh she's actually 14 doesn't that make you feel dirty now and i'm thinking well no not really i mean i, I find her attractive but i'm not trying to date her right that's sounds, like, and he, that's the sounds like he was trying to set you up <laughs> yeah get you in trouble there <laughs> yeah look look like this teenagers are, <laughs> teenagers are becoming women i mean they, they're yep. you know i mean they're Hell, I Sometimes mean, you can't we, tell that they're only, you know, 14. Well, I mean, like teenagers, that that's, most teenagers have developed those secondary sexual characteristics. I've been noticing this with the, the Roy Moore stuff that uh, people have been calling him out as a pedophile. And it's like, no, no, no. Uh, a pedophile is somebody who uh, uh, like, like prepubescent girls or boys, depending on their proclivities. But uh, finding a teenager sexually attractive, that's something entirely different. I mean, of course... You shouldn't date a teenager if you're an adult, yeah. but it's something different than going after a six-year-old. Well, yeah, but pedophile is an easy word to slam somebody with, too. That's true. That's probably why it's um, overused. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But he's a he's a sexual harasser, not necessarily a pedophile. He just liked young women. And it, and it didn't even really matter the age of some of these women. What he was doing was sexual harassment no matter their age. No, exactly. So yeah. he's just a bad dude all the way around. Yeah. Um, 
that leads us uh, really nicely into our next topic. It sure yep. does. We yeah. go from teenage foxes to uh, domesticated ones. Yeah, so why are the Russians laughing at us, dumbass? Oh. <laughs> Gee, we wonder. I'm sorry. There are a lot I of mean... reasons why they are mocking us <laughs> at the moment. But, um, uh, um, we're not Americans. For... They're laughing yeah. at the U.S. more. Yeah, but I think you guys we, share we our shame. We referred to this earlier about... Uh, share it, yes. We, we referred to this earlier about uh, the all the scandals that are going on uh, with the sexual harassment and stuff. And um, uh, so there's this article here. And apparently, like in Russian media, it's there's been a lot of uh, of mocking uh, the Western world about this, uh, calling it like an overreaction and political correctness. Um, and a lot, there, there seems to be an attitude of, well, this is just the way guys are. You know, this is a, this is the the way the way things are. Guys can't help it; they've got testosterone. Right, and but we also see that attitude here in the states, more in the south, more in the conservative areas as well. You mean, like, you mean like Texas? You know, like I was saying <laughs> earlier, it's it's kind of thing that uh, is very nebulous. Like there are places where it's more common than others and different. And it would also depend on the peer group that you hang out with. Right. But it sounds like from this article that, uh, you know, the uh, according to the actors and actresses here, the casting couch is expected. That's what it seems like. That listening to, the, to these Russian women talk is like one of them says, who cares how you got the job as long as you got it? It's like. Wow, that 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 is a much different attitude than I would expect here in the U.S. Uh, did you guys see this article down below about uh, Harvey Weinstein applying for a visa to Russia? <laughs> <laughs> I, made, I, I made that up. But she continues to quote saying, "How can you actually blame a man for sexual harassment?" Yeah. Wow. And that's the attitude we used to have out here as well, though. That's the other thing. You if look it, at. Let, let me continue this. Uh-huh. It, just more on that. Isn't that why he was created in the first place? If he has power that he uses this way, that's fine. Yeah, that's that yeah. isn't that's incredible. That I mean, that, no. That. And down below, she's uh, Agnia Kuznetsova, which I probably butchered. Um, she's pointing out that these women that are coming forward with sexual harassment claims actually got what they wanted, which so is they, which is they got the part or whatever. Then that's not necessarily true. There are women who try to come out against um, uh, what is it, Weinstein, and got their careers destroyed when they said anything about him. I mean, the cover up behind that whole situation is just amazing. They were, and yeah. so you couldn't say anything, and they didn't necessarily get the part. But man, they were told to keep quiet. Well, they were they were expected to do what was expect whatever they were asked, to. and uh, to a lot of people, it was. Just a factor of oh well, that's him. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's yeah. nothing there's someone, yeah. unusual about it. It's just how he yeah. does things, and we deal with it. He comes. He comes from a Weinstein comes from a time when that was not merely commonplace, but expected. Yeah, and you hear horror stories like that. I mean, uh, apparently Judy Garland at the time she was doing Wizard of Oz, they kept her drugged up. In days, they'd get her um, hyped up on drugs, keep her active, and then they'd give her sleeping pills at night. You know, the, the, the Hollywood. Did a lot of messed up stuff to um, yeah. their talent over the years that we're well. now aware of and can't calling out on. And you know, quite often in, in positions like that, you're not necessarily treated as a person or as an individual. You're expected to do certain things to please those in charge, whether sexual or basically abusing your body like crazy. From you have to, you know, diet to a certain level, things like that. It's like the individuals aren't as important as being the useful tool 
that the producers need at the time. So, I mean, we've but got I'll, Louis C.K., who, who, um, Al, um, Al Franken. I mean, there, there's so many of them now that are, that, I mean, uh, that, that are being, that it's coming down on even, now. Even freaking Neil deGrasse Tyson has a charge as somebody uh, alleging something. Yeah. I have not heard that one. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. I heard that one. Neil deGrasse. Um, hmm. It was I, sometime, uh, it was like some, some stew from years ago, but. Wow. But I think this, uh, this all goes to show, um, like people will say like, oh, it's 2017. It's time for everybody to get woke already. But I mean, all of this shows that, uh, our current attitudes about things are just so new. Uh, we like the whole weight of history is going against us on this. Hello? Yeah. And yeah. The, the other problem it's is right. that, yeah, people are, so the, the, one of the questions that I have is, I mean, the, this is kind of a new thing. And so people were doing this. I mean, part of part of the Weinstein thing is stuff he did, what, years ago that are coming back on him now. I mean, so we're oh, judging yeah. we're judging past action by our current moral standards. Is that fair? In some cases, no. Um, in the factor that, I mean, some of the stuff that is accredited are just sayings or whatsoever. Okay, those are that's a type of sexual harassment, but that's not rape or a lot of people don't understand the exacts of what is harassment, what is touching, uh, am... what is exactly what. Because some people say rape is even just them touching your tummy. Yeah, I just, yeah um, And I just... then you also get problems going the other way. Um, um, Brian mentioned Al Franken a few times already. And one of the problems is if you look at his case, did he do anything wrong? The uh, um, He had people with him the whole time that are claiming that they never saw um, the claims. The, the picture was taken and she was actually, uh, you know, the infamous picture of him groping her. The claim of the person who took that picture says that actually she was in on it and they were playing around. And um, the but whole... they wouldn't know either. Well, but no, if he was taking the picture, he was right there, you know, watching them. It wasn't like he barged in. I, I, I heard a little bit about that. And my, my impression from what I've heard is that... Uh, Maybe maybe Al and the rest of them thought that they were just fooling around and she was in on it and, she, and it was that, all consensual and maybe it wasn't as consensual as for her as they thought it was. Yeah, well, and that's part of the problem. And you, you do. And actually, I, I um, think of all the people that have had the accusations, he's the one that handled the best. Saying, "Listen, I'm not going to call her a liar. I'm not going to come out and try and say she's wrong. I do. I don't remember it that way. And I admit, um, it, it looks like I did some inappropriate things at the time." And that's one of the main things, um, even in cases like that, where um, you don't know necessarily whether or not to believe the victim, you can't call them a liar. But the problem <laughs> comes up that there are w women out there that are going to use this in different ways. Louis and Lucy K. admitted to it as well, right? And yeah. he admitted that it was an abuse of power. Yeah, well, no, frankly, he wasn't even in a position of power. Right, sure. It's actually, there's enough awkward stuff with him. He's one that, yeah. I'm, you know, I, I don't want to say I think she's a liar, but I think she's... Um, what she's doing is for political reasons because I actually, if you get online, you can find the actual um, sketch that she was referring to where he forced himself on her, which they apparently did quite a few times for UFOs, USO shows, and he did the same one beforehand. And, um, you know, she, she willingly did the sketch, and the sketch did have him, the sketch in and of itself has him forcing himself on her. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it, it fits within the storyline of the joke that's going on. And so suddenly she comes out and says he was forcing himself on her. And it's like, wait a moment, but you were doing the sketch with him. It's not something he wrote and tried to convince you of. It's something you willingly did. And now you, so 
she's one of those that I think hurts it in that it's harder to believe her and whether or not she really was in that position. Um, well, you know, I've, uh, I've had uh, the experience of um, uh, unwittingly making a girl uncomfortable with my jokes or, and stuff. And right. uh, like I, I this one time uh, I was playing a role playing game uh, with some friends and um, uh, my character, um, I put, uh, I put in a little quirk, just having fun with one of the female characters, um, saying uh, that uh, I liked hairy women, and uh, she transformed into a bear or something. So every time she did that, I'd be like, "Oh, your fur looks so soft." But you know, it never went beyond that, right? So like, sure. it was just a joke, and I thought everybody enjoyed it. But then I find out later that um, oh, she was she, she was really uh, disturbed by that and, and wanted me to stop. I'm like, "Oh, okay, I'll I'll stop." And I kind of felt really bad about that for a little. Right, but that, but there's the thing. So once you were told, you stopped, and I think that that is one of the important that one of one of the important things we got to remember here is, I mean, people. Number one, women need to be in a position where they feel like they can say stop, and when they right. do, people need to stop. And I think part of the problem here is that these women are in a position where they do, where they don't feel like they can say stop. Yeah, and right? that's what the article is almost saying: is the women shouldn't be saying stop because they're going to get something out of it. It's like. No, you should feel entitled to say no. I don't want to well, do that. Well, this not... article about Russia exactly. is this yeah, article about, about Russia. Russia. It doesn't apply to us. That they, they can feel that way over there, and 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 I think that this just shows how that we're further along in morality than they are. Right. Well, simple right. fact is too is that a German woman, if she doesn't want something, she's just going to punch you in the head. Well, let's hope that's true. Yeah, and there's a there's this other thing uh, to note here. There's um, this. Uh, a uh, woman, um, Alena Popova in Russia, a uh, woman's right at, rights advocate, um, and, she, and she's drawing attention to the fact that uh, recently Russia passed uh, new legislation that reduced the penalties men face for assaulting their wives or partners. That's true. They did. They're allowed to do an awful lot more. Yeah, so well, that shows them taking steps backwards, which is scary. Sure. Yes. Right. So, yeah, yeah the, more to show uh, about this Russian attitude about uh, the validity of sexual harassment and assault claims. Well, Part of the, you know, some of this goes back to our prudence. So, some of this goes back. Oh, I mean, like uh, we've still got a lot to work on about uh, uh, women, uh, like all those reports about um, uh, rape. Uh, uh, reports to police and they don't take them seriously. Exactly. Plus, there's also uh, like that uh, rape generation of um, you know in college where they're walking around. Uh, yes is yes is no is yes and yes is still yes. Something else. You know, there's this big joke, rape joke type of thing, which it's difficult to find out where things stand when people are having these type of views or are treating the subject with such a malicious, I don't give a frick about you or what you think or anything attitude. Now, are you sure people are saying no means yes and yes means yes, that these people aren't just trolls? Uh, these people are, there's, I think we had it on one of our other calls where uh, I'm not hearing you because. Oh, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Mad can cat? you hear me now? Hear you. Yeah, we can hear you, Okay. We can hear you. Okay. <laughs> My headphones going nuts again. Um, didn't we once have uh, in one of our calls about uh, one of the one of the groups, uh, one of the college or university groups actually marching along singing this one song about uh, rape 
And uh, when she says yes, it's when she says no, it's yes. And when she says yes, it's something else. Possibly. Yet. But uh, there, there does seem to be an attitude with many people. They don't know what they're talking about, for one. And they don't understand what exactly is going on. And it's very difficult, too, when you're in a situation and you're beside someone. Sometimes you don't know whether they're, whether it's, you know, whether they're doing something malicious, whether they're just interested, whether what's going on. And it's like, wait a moment, you just touched my boob. What the hell? <laughs> so know? They might just be trying to get you from, keep you from getting cancer. But, <laughs> but exactly. to me, or they could have been leaning over trying to get a drink or something. To, to me, a or lot of this still comes. This comes back to this whole prudeness thing that because because we don't talk about these things. You know, if you you if you could say to somebody, hey, you know, I really like it, I'd like to touch your breasts, right? I mean, I, if you could have that conversation, right? But but it's a lot easier, it, yeah. it, right? So we we have to be able to talk about these. Yeah, things. Don't use that as your opening line. Uh, it's my opening yeah, line with you. <laughs> hey, dumbass, can I touch your breast? Why, certainly. Ooh. <laughs> no, but, I mean, you are so, so easy. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to be able to have conversations, open conversations with people, and particularly ones that we like and, and, and you know, and, and have interest in. I mean, it's just. And people, like you said, people are very prudish and they don't want to talk about stuff. Even when people are at bars and they're trying to hook up and everything, they don't really, uh, there's a shyness that people have to get past too to even ask, let alone anything else. It's really rough. Yeah. Is it shyness or is it people trying to be at the bar the person that they think the other person wants to sleep with? I don't know. Depends on the person. Okay. Oh, David pointed out for me. Hello? Yes, we're here. I heard. Oh, David. I heard. Point- ah. I didn't hear. No him. means yes, and yes means anal. Oh. That's what it was. Hmm. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk about this Silver Fox project. Okay. Oh, baby foxes. So I think so, we, we have talked about this before, haven't we? I don't think we've talked about domesticated foxes. I think we have. I think we have about the factor that, you know, wild animals are wild animals. It takes a long, long period of time for them to become even somewhat domesticated. And uh, just, in this case, it took about 40 years. Wow. I believe it took about 40 years. Because um, I believe he started, no, 60 years. He started in the 40s, not the So this guy, um, it's going to be another butchering of a Russian name, Dmitry Belyev. Maybe Belyev? not that bad. Yep. Anyway, he started, he wanted to see if he could recreate the process by which dogs were domesticated with foxes. And by, by choosing, specifically choosing foxes that were less aggressive, he wanted to see if he could accelerate the process. So what he did was he would only allow foxes that were friendly. He would basically get the famous foxes from this lab or from this fur farm, and he would choose only the foxes that were friendly and only allow those to breed, and the rest would go back to the fur farm. Right. So basically, so he, he, would, he would take these foxes, <clears throat> he would offer them food. It, if the fox tried to bite him, they became a coat. And and if they didn't try to bite him and they were interested, they, they got to go to the breeding program. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's necessarily breeding friendlier foxes or more intelligent ones. He was breeding friendlier foxes. So they, they were particularly well, looking for, for traits of 
you know, of, of ones that were, if they were curious about humans in some way. So, so if they were interested in what you were trying to feed him, then, then, then those are the ones that he initially chose. But what's, what's interesting now is that the, the domesticated foxes are actually now genetically different from wild foxes. They are, they are a species distinct. Okay. I think could probably still breed with each other. Yeah. But like dogs and wolves. Yeah. Right. But, they are species distinct at this point, and they have different characteristics, including different colors, floppier ears, and uh, curvier tails. So why do they have the different colors? That's, they're not sure. They've never actually sequenced fox genes, so they don't, know, they don't know why these physical traits came out. So actually, in the Scientific America article that I put in here, what they suggest that it has to do with, I think it was um, a stress hormone, cortisol? that basically these foxes had less of it when they were around humans, and, and they thought that maybe this had something to do with the pigment in fur. And they and they, they suspect that, it, that that is what it has to do with, is, is, is the stress hormone. And that by eliminating, by, by reducing the stress hormones, it allowed the other pigments. So that so but, it's pretty interesting. What, uh, it is interesting. What, uh, well, so we can actually, we used to be able to, I guess we can still get domesticated foxes. There was a company in Las Vegas that was importing them. And it would cost you about nine thousand bucks to get a domesticated fox. I guess you can still get them, but you have to go direct to Russia. Uh, so, what I what I did find kind of interesting though is that the one of the one of the researchers here in the U.S. who's studying this is she's got six foxes, five of which are domesticated. And when she turns her back on her coffee cup, she finds out that one of the foxes is peed in her coffee cup. <laughs> <laughs> That is fun. Well, there's a statement. <laughs> so yeah, just just basically saying that there are behaviors in foxes of whether they're whether they're domesticated or not, you may never be able to get rid of. Well, and who knows though? I mean, here dogs have been we're doing this with dogs for a much longer amount of time. Yeah. Um, so no, yeah. I I always I always heard this um, called the Silver Fox Project. And 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 it's always uh, so. Um, you and you have in here that it's a red fox. So I had to dig into. Well, they that. start off as red foxes. Yeah. No, that's but not true. They, are, well, they, no, they started the, the project in Russia started off with silver foxes, which is a what? which is a uh, a variant of the red fox. What I read was that um, the the domesticated foxes are called silver foxes. No, but I could no. I okay. No, no, that, 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 um, and in fact, I have the history of the, the fox program too, and it specifically says that the silver, that they talk about the silver fox, and the, and the, the silver fox is a, is a variant of the, of the red fox. Um, I don't know, is, isn't there also a Siberian fox? I don't know if it's the same or not. Mm-hmm. Kent, Siberian. Yeah, so, so they, they, they start off with this, with a derivative of the red fox called the silver fox, and they eventually, they, they have another breeding program where they, where they bred for aggression as well. So they have one where they, they, um, they bred for tame foxes and one where they bred for aggression. So they, so they, so the experiment has evolved, and so they do both now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked Attack about this foxes. one before. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. did this at an uh, accelerated rate. Right, because it's interesting they, to, they were able to select, right? They were, they were selecting the traits. And so what they found is, you know, so like even the shape of the nose started to change and they, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and some of the parts of the skull would start to thin in, um, in different places yeah. um, mm-hmm. just by selecting for, for certain traits. And they got all these other things that went along with it. Um, and in fact, um, there, the book, I first read about this in, in a Richard Dawkins book, and I'm thinking that it might be Evolution, mm-hmm. the Greatest Story the greatest ever on Earth. 
But it, that fits with what we've seen with domesticated dogs. You know, they what we see as domesticated dogs, most of them do not look like wolves, and we know they came from wolf stock. So there's yeah, definitely something about you know breeding for certain traits that seem to breed out physical traits. Well, you know, I I was having this conversation with Sam 30 years ago, or you know, I guess it would be closer to 40 years ago. I knew a lady with purebred pugs, and they did not look like modern purebred pugs. They were bigger. Their noses were not as smashed in, and they were a little, a little hardier and smarter. Well, and some of that has to do with inbreeding. Um, yeah. You know, the purebred dogs are definitely getting more and more inbred now. Yep. Well, the other thing is, too, is that people have decided that the puggy-nosed, uh, the squished-in noses are cuter because it looks more human. And uh, there are quite a few dog breeds which are bred specifically for that uh for that feature because they go to people at home who keep them mostly at home type of things like Lassa Opsos, the Bichon Frises, the uh, uh, Pomeranian. Pomeranians uh, oh, don't have a squished in nose. They've got a short oh, not nose. The, uh, sorry, uh, the other one, um, one that had Flopsy in that one uh, TV show. Uh, Pekingese. Ah, okay. That's that So I just put a Google search in there that I did for Silver Fox. The silver so, fox looks exactly like the red fox, except for the coloring is, is the silver, yeah, the beautiful silver okay. color. We hear you. Uh, so it, it's quite a few. And like you said, the pugs, however many years ago, were a lot different. The same with the the other ones. I've seen a lot of, like, shih tzus that are... I thought that was a kind of massage. Could be, but it's mm-hmm. also a dog. The shih tzus in the uh, Masa Opsa, their sizes have changed so that uh, the... The Shih Tzus used to be a bit bigger, and same with the Lhasas, but they're both much smaller now. And, of course, a smaller nose. Yeah, but so this has been going on for 58 years, hey, this Brian, project. one point you're wrong on. Um, the Red Fox is actually a dead comedian. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've actually seen some of his comedian acts, too. I've, I've heard some of his comedy, and I used to watch him on Sanford and Son. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Brain work. All right, so um, the other one that I found, uh, the other article that kind of goes along with this is, so the story here is that on the Galapagos Island, they have native finches, and apparently this one example of a, of a cactus finch flew like 65 miles from another island and bred with a female of one of the local species, and they produced fertile young. So... 40 years later, there's a closed breeding group of those larger birds that are that are descendants of this one this one cactus cactus finch and the native finches. That's so cool. about a 30, 30 individual breeding group, and they are larger and slightly more aggressive than the other birds on the island. So they have a they have a little bit better advantage, but they also have a slightly different song. So the native birds don't recognize them as breeding partners. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, they're uh, not sure if he actually flew 65 miles or got blown 65 miles or maybe hitched a ride. Right. But sure. That's an awfully long ways for a finch to fly. Yes, it is. A little bird like that. Yeah, but we, we've seen there, there are ways that animals can get around Absolutely. like that. Yeah. That's neat. Because so, I think there was a story a few years back about them actually seeing some iguanas from one island basically end up riding some logs out to sea and ending up elsewhere. 
Yep, that is true. That's mm-hmm. actually fairly well documented. I've had spiders hop on my car and hitch a ride. Yeah. Apparently when they see something they want to drop off at, they'll drop off and they'll go somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. So one bird getting a ride like that somehow is not inconceivable at all. Nope. I've seen pigeons trying to ride the bus in Sault Ste. Marie. <laughs> well, Literally. Sam pointed out that Galapagos gets a lot of tourist trade in, on boats, so it's possible to fish mm-hmm. yeah, ride yeah. on one of those. Sure. So we're saying uh, the finches are Marty McFly? <laughs> Possible. Except they're uh, they're not going back in time. And we, okay, How do you know? We're an yeah, hour I was about to say, uh, that's a speculation on your part. That is true. <laughs> Where did they ha- the hide the little car? These could be future finches. All right, we're an hour of recording. What do we want to do? I think that uh, our, our ethical slut conversation extensive. Yeah, that could be a long one. Um, uh, I'm fine with tabling it. What's this last one? Uh, let's do this one. Okay, let's go, we'll wrap finish up on up this. One. Okay. Okay, so to finish up tonight, I found this interesting um, article from The Guardian. Um, basically, the title is a bit misleading because it doesn't really tell you what it is. But the but title the is title Science Fiction Triggers Horror Reading, reading Study Finds. So, so the idea here is they wrote a piece, a fiction piece, and uh, basically literary um, style, you know, modern day stuff like happening to you kind of thing. Then they took that exact same piece and they went through and they took stuff like doorway and turned it into airlock. And so they um, took, you know, modern elements and turned them into science fiction styled elements. Then they had people read them. And so basically these are the exact same stories. Just one is your literary story in modern day setting. The other is a story that has science fiction elements. In general, the literary one was the higher rated one, saying this is good writing. And in general, the science fiction one was considered poor writing. Yet, for the most part, they were the exact same thing. And so, well, not, I don't know about names. Different names for things. Yeah. Like Uh, interlock and whatever. Right, basically showing a preconceived idea that genre fiction, like science fiction and fantasy and stuff, is going to be poor quality writing no matter what. Because it's not literary fiction, while it could could be the exact same stuff, um, which is something I've experienced myself. I remember back in um, school, whenever we were getting a um, our assignment in English class, write a story. It can't be science fiction or fantasy because though you know apparently those weren't ones you could write. It's like why not? I, I always hated those because that's what I wanted to write. Um, I, I think it's kind of I think it's kind of a, a factor of what people are used to. I think it's the same with cartoons. We've gotten so used to, like, especially since, you know, they they tried to put limit on cartoons and make them as babyish as possible in, like, what was it, like the 60s or 70s or something? I'm not entirely sure. But, you know, everybody started thinking, oh, cartoons are for kids. And uh, they started looking, strangely, if you were an adult and you were interested uh, in cartoons at all, I think it's kind of uh, the same thing with science fiction. Um, not exactly, not in the same way as an adult versus child, but more in that for a long time, most science fiction was like the really, uh, the, the like, uh, really badly written science fiction that was just being put out there in like great amounts. Well, yeah, but that's to be the same in any, you know, literary fiction gets a lot of crap put out in a huge amount. Um, but basically anything entertainment wise, you're going to get crap. I don't care what genre, I don't care, you know, anything like that. 
but the problem is, and um, with science fiction, same thing with comic books, is they got these bad reputations of being garbage to begin with, and no one's willing to give them a chance. Uh, apparently, Neil Gaiman, um, one of the things he's famous for is the Sandman comics that he did for DC. And there was one of, yes, there was the one where he had Shakespeare doing Midsummer's Night Dream, got, nom- got nominated and won for uh, Bram Stoker Awards. First time a comic got nominated, Every, uh, uh, we're talking about a genre fiction group that got pissed off because a comic book won an award. There were people totally upset going, how dare a comic book win a literary award like that? And I, I, I mean, like I said, this was a genre group that already um, faced some of that discrimination to begin with, discriminating even more, trying to say comic books were children's stuff. And like Alan Moore's Watchmen, still one of the most famous graphic novels ever, still considered one of the great literary pieces of the um, 1980s. And yep. yet you're going to get people saying, oh, it's a comic book, it's garbage. And so, you know, th- this is the attitude that's been out there of prejudging all sorts all of sorts stuff of before you give it a chance. And, you know, I- I'm a writer. I'm not saying my stuff is great literature, but I've read a lot of science fiction fantasy that is undoubtedly great, great literature. Well, and for that matter, you've got modern film critics who in this atmosphere where you've got movies based on comic books – that are killing it at the box office, but you've got critics who, you know, pretty much automatically assume if it's a comic book movie, then it's not really worth their time or they're really to them really to consider it. And right. you know, so they'll take a crappy French art film that nobody wants to see and give it the highest rating over a comic book movie that everybody wants. Now, well, remember the Lord of the Rings movies all got Academy Awards. That was a huge deal. I mean, oh yeah, Return of the King won that was fantasy. Yeah, you know, they, these were fantasy pictures that pretty much hit mainstream and got um, serious acclaim for what they did. The, the storytelling, the everything else to them. So. You know, but th- this um, experiment says the, the attitude's still there, even though more and more we can see so many examples that say this is not accurate. There's just this mentality in people to begin with saying, oh, this genre fiction stuff is garbage because it, it's not real, it's not accurate, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, um, literary fiction, uh, Gulliver's Travels is, I think, generally considered literary fiction, yet there's you, no denying it is 100% pure fantasy. Exactly, and well, it's, an awesome it's fantasy with a heavy dose of social. Yeah, and but, um, but even then again, it goes Terry yeah. Pratchett. <laughs> yeah, no, and Douglas um, Adams. Social commentary should be everywhere in art. It, it, it actually, I think art is almost better when it has uh, well done social commentary. Um, isn't is it, a know, lot of times people's art is an outlet for their social commentary? Exactly. Yeah. And that's what they try to tell you to do sometimes as well as make it as that. And and then, of course, they try to say to everyone exactly what the artist was thinking or believing at that point of time. No one knows except the artist. But to write off, uh, in my college um, creative writing class I took, I um, submitted some of my fantasy stuff I was working on. And these are college students um, and we're supposed to critique each other's work. Um, one of the critiques was, well, I don't really read this kind of stuff, but I guess it's okay. And I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, this is a college class. I don't care if you don't like fantasy or not. You're not reading it for that. You're reading it to tell me if you, you know, if you see flaws in the character, if you see issues that need to be dealt with, what works, what doesn't work. Don't tell me if this is the crap you read or not. I don't care what if you would buy this book. I want to know from a perspective of 
writing if it's good. Not from perspective, I don't like fantasy. Yeah, but the whole article says that when people see that there's those elements in there, that they don't give it the careful read-over. Right, and that's oh, the problem. So you actually didn't, wouldn't have gotten good criticism in many ways. Yeah. No, they that's have the a tendency of just running right over anything or a whole bunch of it just to get through it. And both of you are right. People do that <clears throat> as soon as they hear the words or see words which indicate that the what is being written is not written as, as a perspective, perspective of, of the uh, now and here type of yeah, situation. Yeah. And that gets to the other interesting areas, because there are some brilliantly written young adult novels out there and, ju- and stuff labeled juvenile, but people look at them, oh, I don't want to read something written for a kid. It's like, um, read it anyways. If, if someone tells you... They but everyone good, loves Harry Potter now. Yeah. And Harry yep. Potter was a young adult story. Oh, yeah. But, but there, there's a lot of young adult fiction that is well-written they and brilliant. Exist. Yeah. And so, you know, this is saying that you're – basically the essence of this to me is saying people are going to miss out on good stuff if they label it ahead of time and, you know, don't give it a chance. I, I actually don't know of any genre I wouldn't – if someone recommended something of, I wouldn't at least try to read. Well, that's okay. Great. Hey, Ian. Yep. Um, you ever pick up the the romance novels of Jane Ann Krentz? No, but I've actually heard some good stuff about romance novels. In fact, I think my uncle apparently he was at Mile High Con here last month, and he was talking about actually having written a romance novel because someone really? dared to. Well played, Ian. Well, did the um, and so I actually have a I actually have a shelf full of Jane Ann Krentz. The uh, the, the Sweet Valley right. Twins novels come highly recommended on this podcast. <laughs> I've mentioned that to you before, have I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what? Here's my thought on it. I think that um, in order to be taken seriously uh, for like literary awards or something, um, that uh, the work, there's this attitude that the work has to take itself really seriously. And it has to be about facing, you know, uh, tough situations and problems and how characters uh, deal with uh, adversity and all sorts of, you know, sadness and stuff. It, like anything whimsical, anything, anything whimsical or out of the ordinary doesn't feel like it's taking itself too seriously by these people who are literary snobs. Yeah. Um, maybe slightly off subject, but who here has seen the movie Stranger Than Fiction? I've heard of it. haven't seen it, though. Anybody seen yes, it? Yes, yes. I've seen it, Ian? Okay. Um, it's been a while, in, yeah. In this movie, Will Ferrell... Uh, first of all, shows his acting chops, but he plays a character who starts hearing a voice narrating his actions. And Oh, I've seen like the preview for this or, the, or something. Yeah, but at one point in the narrative, the voice talks about how his actions are leading to his inevitable death. And it, <laughs> it turns out that he is basically being written by this author who is famous for for writing tragedies about character and he goes to a literary teacher who you know basically figures out who the author is and then tells him well you know you you've got to let her finish this you've got to die because this this book is going to be fantastic (laughs) (laughs) well if you're gonna die it better be fantastic yeah i mean we can pretty much say that there are good and bad writers in every genre right that's the thing i mean that's what it comes down to and you're not going to like everything you read, but don't, you know, I, I, the idea of going into something saying, well, it's science fiction, so I'm not, it, it's garbage, I'm not going to like it, is stupid, and it's limiting 
you know, well, no, so the, and there's this idea that, uh, like, like I was saying, uh, if it's if it's not serious and it doesn't explore uh, issues and make you really think that it's you know <laughs> not really worth it, which, like sometimes <laughs> sometimes the story is just a fun thing to read. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books are, don't take themselves seriously at all, but they are brilliant and they get you thinking and they have some really intriguing concepts within them. Irma Bombeck is a whole bunch of comedy as well, and she's gotten awards itself. Yeah. Uh, it's just that hers are more specifically real life, real life, real life now. Yeah. So it, oh, it's not, not the same not. as trying to get people's, uh, get the acceptance of the reader being a sci-fi, fantasy fiction whatever, <clears throat> artist. Yeah. I mentioned Pratchett earlier. Uh, Ian mentioned Douglas Adams also. I mentioned Pratchett yep, yep. earlier. Pratchett was an absolutely brilliant satirist who poked fun at some, you know, some incredibly earthy concepts through his construction of this flat planet called Discworld. On top of the... The turtle. On, the turtles. on, top, on top of a... Great arguing. Yep, on top of four turtles, four four elephants standing on top of a a giant turtle swimming through right. space. Well, there was turtles all the way down as well. Yeah, turtles, tortoises. Now, in this case, it was just the one turtle swimming through space. <laughs> yep, with four elephants standing on top of it, and the and the uh, the world sat on the backs of those four elements. Elephants. Oh, and by the way, the uh, the, the space turtles are born that way. Yep, oh. they're uh, the species is astro. But they're born with elephants on their backs. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they're born. Okay. The, the, the turtles are born with more elephants on their back, holding up a tiny discworld. Hmm. Uh, for the, there was actually one of the books where Atuan went to spawn and spawned new discworlds. Yes, okay. uh, that's how I know so, that. I haven't yep. read that one. That was the Light Fantastic, the second <laughs> book in the narrative. <laughs> yep. Uh, we're that is cute. All right. I think that's Although, about it. My favorite is still Reaper. Oh, the one where the Reaper was uh, sick and or went on no, vacation. The one where he actually got fired. Yeah. Oh, I had to remember. That, that was the first and one I read. Reaper Man, and following that, Night Watch. I like the night. I like the guards, guards stuff. Yep. Night Watch is, I think, not the last book, but like the second to last. No, it's like the third to last of the guards, guards stuff. That's the one where Vimes gets sent back in time and ends up being his own sergeant. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Thanks to the history monks. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, the, the bottom line here is you can't oh you, you can't judge the writing by the by the genre. I mean, that, that that's no. what it comes down to. I mean, uh, Lucy, the history monk, that is an absolutely brilliant character. He's a monk from a far-off place, but all of his wisdom comes from Ankh Morpork because he studied under Mrs. Cosmolite. Because where he comes from, that's real far off. <laughs> they're a lot of fun. It, it, I mean, they, yeah. they're fun. All right. Is there anything else? Nope. All right. Nope. Good Say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. That's another one in the can. If you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time. You're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons Sharealike No Derivatives 3.5 license. Intro music by Peter Canold. Find more of Peter's music at SoundCloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork 
for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Board. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture.